Jessica Bagan was a young woman from Sitka, Alaska. The night her life was taken, she was spending time with some of her closest friends and family to celebrate her birthday. She just turned 17 the night she was killed. Many partygoers say they remembered seeing her leave around midnight the night of the party and that she left to go to a relative's house. While on her way home, she was attacked on Sawmill Creek Road. A few days later, following thousands of volunteers showing up to search, her body was found left in the woods near Indian River at the footbridge of Sawmill Creek Road. The investigation was set into overdrive following the discovery. It was apparent that she'd been sexually assaulted beforehand, and the police were able to collect DNA from the scene. But at the time, it was still fairly new, and when ran through the database, there were no matches. A year following the murder, though, police believed they had caught the right person. A man named Richard Bingham was placed on trial in 1997 for the murder of Jessica, and during the time he was in court, a tape of his confession to police was played. This came after a friend of Richard's claimed that Richard had confessed to killing Jessica the night before while high, intoxicated, and totally blacked out. According to an article from 1997 about the trial, this place of blame was part of a game Richard and his friend John Ospakin would play when the pair got incredibly drunk. Ospakin testified that for two and a half years before the Bagan murder, he and Bingham would play a game in which they looked at the police blotter in the Sitka newspaper, and either Ospakin or Bingham would joke that Bingham had committed one or another of the minor crimes during one of his frequent alcoholic blackouts. Ospakin said that on May 14th, 10 days after Bagan's murder, they played the game at Ospakin's home. He testified that Bingham looked a little stressed that day, which Ospakin said wasn't necessarily unusual for Bingham since he was always paranoid that the police were after him for some reason. A jury cleared Richard in June of 1999. Many years following this, Richard would still undergo massive scrutiny, not only from the police who still believed he was the culprit, but from those who lived in Sitka and had heard about the case. Because of this, when he was released from prison, where he was being held while the trial was underway, he moved from Alaska. From an interview with public defender Galene Payne, he's left Alaska. Bingham left last weekend, but Payne said he did not want to disclose where he went. Still, to many, he was guilty. That was until August 3rd, 2020. A man named Steve Branch, now 66 years old, became one of the prime suspects in Jessica's case the year prior, following a forensic procedure called genetic genealogy. He lived in Sitka at the time of the murder, but was now living in Arkansas. When the police arrived at his home and asked for a sample of his DNA, he denied. He also claimed he knew nothing about the murder of Jessica. The police left Steve's home, assumingly to get a warrant for his DNA, but it would turn out to be unnecessary. Steve committed suicide just under half an hour after the police left. DNA collected at that scene was then matched to the DNA found with Jessica all those years ago. Up until recently... Julie didn't have her name. It begins on the 10th of September, 1990, around 5 p.m. A man who was traveling down Highway 288 near Manville, Texas, pulled over in Brazoria County Road so he could relieve himself after a long drive. Not long after, he noticed a pile of debris that looked rather deliberate 
rather than just regular roadside trash. He investigated and found a skull underneath a tire. Soon, he'd seen that he discovered a full skeleton. Of course, the police were called, but the investigation was already off to a slow start. The remains were discovered near the bottom of a dead-end road in the area with an incredibly small population. The police looked at all the surrounding area, but found no hair or clothing, but there were several pieces of jewelry found on the remains. The one that police picked up on the most was a class ring from Robert E. Lee High School from 1975. They'd assumed it was a gift from an older relative. At the time of this discovery, Brazoria County didn't have a medical examiner, so an autopsy of the bones was performed by an Emmy in a different county, Dr. Eduardo Bellas from Harris County. According to his examination, there was not much more to go off of. He said the bones showed two fractured ribs and a believed history of knee problems. He placed her around 15 to 19 years old, Hispanic and or white, and anywhere from 4'8 to 5'2". An article ran that description along with many mentions of quote-unquote some property that was found with her, but unfortunately no one came forward with answers and the case was placed to the side for some time. It was reopened in August of 2006 when a detective took a much closer look into the jewelry that was with the remains. Trace amounts of DNA were pulled from her rings and her bracelet and with further testing determined she was likely white, with some African DNA in her family, but it would have been fairly recent. They suspected a parent or a grandparent. After this testing, it was also determined that she could have been slightly older than the original report, putting her at 21. Soon after this revelation was reached, a composite sketch was created and distributed through Manville. Police brought the sketch to those in the 1990 graduating class from Robert E. Lee High School, but none of them said they recognized her. The following year, in June of 2007, the sketch was re-released on the news, which brought in many leads, but all eventually phased out. One man, a Roy Allen Stewart, was suspected of killing the young woman, but has since been ruled out. In November of 2019, ABC 13 of Texas ran her story one more time, with new details being released. They reported on her mixed ancestry and said it was most likely from her maternal side. They also said they'd be sending her remains to a lab in Austin for DNA phenotyping to be done so they could make a more accurate reconstruction of her. While this was taking place, a man named Danny Davis from Orange, Texas, had coincidentally submitted his DNA to a Texas ranger in hopes that it would help find his sister, Julie Davis. He said she'd gone missing at the age of 16. The Texas Ranger had taken Danny's DNA to run it across a young woman who was found in a different part of the state. But, when his DNA was placed into the system in June of 2020, the remains that were discovered in Brazoria County nearly 35 years ago were the first and only match. They reported the DNA to be a 99.9% match. The young woman who was discovered on the side of a highway was Julie Davis. There are still many questions, of course, the main one being how did she get there, and was she murdered? Furthermore, who did it? Danny's older sister was able to clear up the class ring a little bit, saying her sister's husband was most likely from Houston. Other than that, there have been no major breaks since this one, but this is an absolute landmark in Julie's case. 
Unfortunately, both of her parents passed away a few years after she went missing, but with her siblings and the police still searching for answers, I feel it's only a matter of time before they get everything they're looking for. If you believe you can help in any way, call the Orange County, Texas Sheriff's Office at 409-883-2612. Much like the previous case, this woman was without her identity for quite some time. Her case began on the 1st of June 2001 when Sacramento firefighters were called to a fire that had started in a large dumpster on the 7900 block of 18th Avenue. The flames were quickly extinguished, but once they were out, the purpose of the fire became clear. The body of a woman was discovered in the bottom. The body was taken to the Emmy's office for examination, but given how badly burned it was, they could only speculate. At first, it was believed that she was a young woman somewhere in her mid-teens and early 20s. They also reported at the time that they believed she was a white woman or at least light-skinned. Many 3D models and composite sketches were released in hopes of someone recognizing the young woman, but no one came forward. For 16 years, her case sat cold with no new leads, but in 2017, police discovered that they were looking for the wrong woman. A new DNA analysis done by Parabon Nanolabs that year gave a much more detailed look into who police should have been trying to identify. This composite was generated by Parabon after they analyzed the DNA. Of course, this is far different than the white-slash-light-skinned woman the police believed they were looking for. The news was released to the public in hopes that someone would recognize her. It took another two years, but someone eventually did. The articles I've read don't go into massive amounts of detail, but using more DNA technology, perhaps submitted by a family member, the young woman was positively identified as Perian Gray. She'd gone missing in California on June 1st, 2001. Some reports say that there were hospital records under that name from 2003, though given she was found in 2001, it's possible someone had stolen her identity. Another report from 2007 claimed Parian was seen in Oakland, but this was likely a misidentification. Now that Parian has her name back, police are, of course, looking to capture the person responsible for the horrific act that took her life. Contact the Sacramento Valley Crime Stoppers at 916-443-4357 with any information. <laughs> 